Hello, and welcome to the Writers' Forum, a weekly production of WRBH Reading Radio. I'm the owner of Tubby & Coo's Mid-City Bookshop and your host, Candace Huber. This week, I'm talking to Rebecca Kim Wells, author of the angry, feminist, bisexual, dragon YA fantasy novel, Shatter the Sky. Rebecca holds a BA in political science from UC Berkeley and an MFA in writing for children and young adults from Simmons College. When not writing, reading, or talking about writing or reading, she sells books at a fiercely independent bookstore in Massachusetts. She can also be found drinking tea, singing along to musicals, or playing soccer, usually not all at once. If she were a hobbit, she would undoubtedly be a took. Shatter the Sky is her debut novel. Welcome, Rebecca. Thanks for being here with us. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. So what about writing YA specifically appeals to you? Like, why did you choose to write this particular story as YA? Um, honestly, because YA is more exciting to me as a reader most of the time. Um, I, I love adult fiction, but I feel like sometimes it's like very slow and not a lot happens and I just want the action. Um, <laughs> it, it also was very important to me to be writing like queer representation into children's books. I think that's an area where we really need a lot of um, just a lot more visibility and so that so that children can see themselves. And I really loved being able to do that. Yeah, and that was really cool in your book as well. So let's talk about this, like, angry feminist bisexual dragon YA fantasy, which is how this is built and, like, pretty much exactly what it is. So tell us, like, how it is those things. Like, how is it angry feminist and bisexual? The dragon fantasy, I think, explains itself. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes. So... Well, the main character is bisexual. If you've seen the cover of the book, it is basically the co- the colors of the bisexual pride flag, which I love. Mm-hmm. I did not ask for that. They just did it, and it was wonderful. That's amazing. Um, and it is angry because in the book, um, the main character's girlfriend is stolen from her. And before that happens, she was kind of a homebody you know she was very happy with her lot in life to be like you know quiet and in a small town and then once her girlfriend is taken from her she's like oh no like this is not going to be okay and she just finds this fire in her that she never really thought she was capable of and I think that's something that just about everybody is capable of when pressed to do so um, and then as for the feminist aspects of it, um, I was, it was very important to me to be writing a book not just about like an evil emperor, but also um, the specific ways in which his tyranny um, affects the people and the countries that he's ruling over. And um, I was really happy to be able to explore sort of the aspects of like racism and colonialism that affect you know not just the world of the book but like our world in general and um yeah so i'm i hope it came together well i'm I'm happy with it (laughs) yeah i think it did this book is definitely what i would call a resistance book um Mm -hmm. because you know a lot of it is about resisting this evil emperor and this evil government um so how much do current events influence your writing uh 
They do a lot, and they also don't a lot. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's, that's kind of a, a both both sides answer. Um, I think it, it's important to speak to the reality that we're living in. And, um, you know, it's kind of a tough time for a lot of people these days, uh, especially in the United States. And when I was writing the book, I really wanted to write something that was both about like the power of the individual. Um, I was feeling very helpless in a lot of ways over the last couple of years. Like how, how can I personally affect change in the world? And I was like, you know what? I can write a book that will hopefully reach someone someday. And I wanted to give my main character, Marin, that quality as well. And then, you know, also I, um, I was really, really trying to make a book in which there's a queer main character. She's bisexual. She is not apologetic about it. And the world is totally fine with it. Um, I think there's a big place in the world for, um, for coming out stories and stories about confronting homophobia, but I didn't want this to be one of them. I just wanted it to be like, yes, we are here. We are queer. It's awesome. <laughs> and that's exactly what it was. I thought it was, that was one thing that I really liked about the book is that it just, it, it like was like she, she is queer, but that wasn't really a, a driving force in the story. I mean, her girlfriend gets kidnapped and sure she's going to save her, but, uh, but it's not really, the queerness itself is not really a driving force. It's more about, you know, this main character, like you said, getting angry, like going from complacent to angry and her journey of finding herself in the midst of going to rescue her girlfriend. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was really yeah. cool. So I really like the world in this novel as well. It's really rich and interesting and varied, and there were, you know, different cultures involved and, and all these different places. So can you tell us a little bit about your world-building process for this novel? I'm actually particularly interested in where the Arati came from because they were so interesting to me. They are great, and <laughs> they're they're coming back in book two. Nice. I, like, I actually... Like, considering that they're the inciting incident of the book, mm -hmm. I didn't actually hang out with them as much as I wanted to. <laughs> um, yeah, so I have just been been kind of obsessed with powerful women for forever. And, um, yeah, I actually wrote a book before this one that didn't get published that I at one point I stopped and I was like, oh, no, I think I have too many female characters in this book. <laughs> Um, but the Arati and Shatter the Sky, um, I just wanted, like, bad, awesome, like, spy assassin people. Um, and I was like, great, they're going to be women because they're that's fantastic. Um, <laughs> pretty much. Like, okay. that's, uh, yeah, I mean, further in the book and in the second book, I, there's a little bit more... Um, about like their history with the emperor and sort of the conflict between the two and how the power uh, gets pushed and pulled. But in this book, it was just like, you know what? I want my fiercest, scariest people to be women. Awesome. I'm interested in their history with the emperor as well. So I'm looking forward to reading that. <laughs> um, and what about the rest of the world? We have different cultures and different areas and all kinds of different people. Like, how did you populate this world or was it based on anything like tell us about that 
Um, so the cultures of the world are not specifically based on any real world cultures, but it was very important to me uh, to be clear that none of the people in the book are white. Um, they're all various shades of brown. Um, and when I was thinking about like the different cultures, I actually uh, let myself off easy a little bit because Marin, even though she's in like a, a, a village that has been torn down over the last century and they're not doing very well, like financially or culturally at the beginning of the book, she's also in a position of a little bit of privilege because she lives atop this mountain and for the most part she gets left alone. She doesn't have to deal with what's going on in the rest of the empire the same way that the people who are living down the mountain do. So then when she goes down the mountain she actually has to confront for the first time like a lot of the specifics of the um, the tyranny that the emperor has enacted that she's never really had to face before. Um, so I like through her exploration of the world, it was also my exploration of the world. There is a scene in the book that is directly inspired by um, a trip that I took to China, sort of in the middle of drafting the book. And I was in a cave and it was like very tight and very difficult to move around in. And I We'll not say any more about that because I don't want to spoil the book. But like, there no, is I know exactly scene the scene you're talking about. That <laughs> came from that experience. Yeah, and that that scene was well written. I, I don't want to talk too much about it either to spoil it. But uh, but yeah, I can definitely you you captured that feeling very well of being trapped in that cave. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and so let's talk about your dragon lore a little bit. Um, there's all different kinds of dragon lore. And in this particular novel, I found it really interesting how the dragons are controlled by smell with different smells. I thought that mm -hmm. was super cool. So how did you come up with the lore for this book? Did you do a bunch of research about dragons? No. <laughs> um, I probably should have, but I was just like, dragons, awesome, cool. Um, but the scent specifically, um, it's directly inspired by reading a actually an adult memoir called Coming to My Senses by Alyssa Harad. Lovely, lovely book. Has nothing to do with my book. Um, but it is a memoir, basically, of her... Um, she's going to get married, and she's sort of like grappling with her own like past and issues with femininity and the bridal culture and she starts getting interested in the world of perfume and it's beautifully written and i devoured that book and then all of a sudden i was like oh my god i need to know more about perfume so i fell down this rabbit hole all about perfume and the different ways that scent like can be affected depending on who's wearing it and how and like the the different like layers of scent and once I read that, I was like, oh, my gosh, I have to do something with this. And that is specifically why the whole scent lore and the dragons is in this book. Yeah, it was it was really cool. I don't think I've seen that before um, with dragons. And I thought that was a really cool way to do it. And yeah, I I was just wondering where that came from because it was pretty neat. <laughs> well, that is where awesome. adult nonfiction. <laughs> and so usually there's at least one aspect of the writer's personality in 
all of the different characters. So do you have any one character that you most identify with or how much of you manifest in each of the characters in Shadow of the Sky? Oh, that is such a good question. <laughs> oh, let's think about this for a second. Um, okay, so I would say that um, Kaya is not very much like me, except for that when I was younger, I was extremely athletic. Um, and so not that people were expecting me to be the chosen one or save the world or anything, but I was always one of those like, you know, stars on the soccer field, that sort of a person. So that the, the idea of like athleticism and being like up for anything, that was very much part of my identity when I was a kid. Um, but like interpersonality wise, I think I'm definitely much more like Marin, just like, I like to be in my little nook in my apartment. Uh, I like to be comfortable, do not like to be like physically uncomfortable. I would be happy just like going along, going along. Um, poor Marin. I put her through a lot. <laughs> um, probably the person I am least like is Sev. He's very like, well, maybe we share a certain amount of like sarcasm. Yeah, he's very sarcastic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's he's great though. I really liked him as a character. And cause he Thank go, you. He goes I really like through, him too. Yeah, he goes through just this like all kinds of different phases. Um and of course it's told from Marin's point of view. So you're seeing it you're seeing him as she sees him throughout the book. Mm -hmm. But um but he was really an interesting character to me. And uh, hopefully he'll show up again. But no spoilers about this book. Mm, but mm -hmm. hopefully all these characters show up again because I like all of them, especially the dragons. Not going to lie. That was yeah. my favorite part. <laughs> <laughs> so you have another book coming out in 2020. It's called Storm the Earth. And mm -hmm. th that's a sequel to this one, correct? Yes, it is a direct sequel. It picks up very much where the first one leaves off. Okay, so was that second book easier or harder to write than the first one? Well, I'm in the middle of it right You're now. You're still writing it, okay. <laughs> yes, um, so I, I turned in the first draft last month, and I've just gotten the first round of edits back for it. Um, and it is way harder <laughs> people say that about like the second book they're like oh it's a nightmare and I was like I got this I know what I'm doing I already know you know everything that's going to happen in it most like pretty much but no I was very wrong it is very hard <laughs> especially writing a book like on a, a publishing deadline also very difficult that's what I've heard from most authors that I've talked to. They say that the first book, you're not on a deadline, and you write it, and you can kind of go at your own pace. And then when you get a deal and you are on a deadline, it's a totally different type of thing. So Yeah. So Shatter the Sky, it took me about two years to write before we sold it to the publisher, and then it was about another year of editing back and forth. And then this one, I had five months to turn in a first draft. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's super quick. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and so how did then publishing that first book or did it change your writing process? Did it did it change it at all? Yes, in that I had to go a lot faster. <laughs> um, 
I also, you know, there's a weird thing that happens once you sell a book in that it becomes, you know, less of a hobby and more of a job, which is really wonderful. I mean, that's what I've been trying to do for a long time. But, um, you know, it's really pushed me to try to establish like, oh, this is the way that I write most productively and to set up like a, an actual schedule and try to, you know, meet um but uh, progress markers, even when I'm not officially on like, oh, my gosh, I need to turn in something next week. Yeah. And you're also a bookseller, which I want to talk about a little bit as also a bookseller. <laughs> yeah. And um, so how has that or has it influenced you as a writer? Has being a bookseller, you know, influenced that at all? You know, I would say... For the most part, not so much, um, not as a writer. For some reason, I feel like it's pretty easy for me to isolate my own writing from the books that I see coming out. Um, but it certainly has influenced me just in terms of like the community that I've been able to build. Um, all of my bookseller friends are so excited about my book and even the sales representatives from other publishers who come to our bookstore to, you know, sell books from like Scholastic and, um, and Random House and all of those places, all of them, even though I'm not with that same publisher have been so enthusiastic and it's made me feel, you know, like I have fluffy kittens inside my stomach, all of that <laughs> stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, it's been really, really amazing. Yeah. And I would think that, you know, being a bookseller in the community, I'm excited about your book. And I think it's cool. You know, I mean, you're not the only bookseller who also writes books, but I, I always think it's really cool when booksellers are also writers. And I love to push those books and tell people like, this is a bookseller as well, um, as though like it means anything as far as you know what you're doing as far as writing and book selling and writing like you're saying it, it's not the same I mean sure you read a lot as a bookseller but it doesn't necessarily mean that you will automatically be a good writer but I I like to make yeah. it sound like that you know like this person's a bookseller yeah. they clearly know what they're doing um <laughs> but I I think it's really cool has it influenced you in any way as far as like scheduling or like finding an audience or anything like that? Or, or do, do you just keep everything totally separated? Um, it has influenced me to, to a certain extent. Um, I'm not the events manager at my bookstore, but I work closely with the events manager. And so, um, you know, now that I'm making some writer friends, I'm like, oh, hey, you should come do an event at my bookstore. And um, and so I've actually been able to organize a couple of like young adult and kid lit events. And then I get to come in and see my friends in person for the first time and introduce them to hopefully a very large and adoring audience. Um, so that's been really nice. So basically just like more community building. Yeah, I think for me, that's my favorite part of being a bookseller as well as just the the community building and how everyone that I've met anyway is is really supportive of each other. And I think that's really cool. Oh, absolutely. Yes, it is wonderful. <laughs> so tell me why and this is sort of going back to your, your writing as well. Is there a reason why you chose to write genre fiction specifically like what do you think science fiction and fantasy 
offerings that other genres may not? Um, basically, the ability to put anything on the table. Um, like if I were writing realistic fiction, which I'm scared, very terrified to do, by the way, <laughs> um, there's so much more research involved. But also, if I were writing realistic fiction, I probably would have to at some point confront homophobia in the real world. And I just, I just didn't really want to do that. Yeah, um, I don't blame you. I just wanted like a very happy queer story. I mean, of course, it's not a happy story, but the queerness is happy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do have some ideas for books set in the real world, in our world anyway, um, but I'm just, I don't feel qualified to write those yet because to me, making up my own world is much easier than doing the research to portray this world realistically. Yeah, I don't blame you. I, I My bookstore is pretty much all science fiction and fantasy, so I love to live in those worlds. <laughs> um, and I, I also think with sci-fi and fantasy, it's so interesting because I think that a lot of the times you can tell a bigger truth, um, mm -hmm. you know, by portraying things a certain way, like your book being this resistance book against this evil emperor and like the queerness being just like a regular normal thing. No one questions it. No one talks about it. I think all those things are really powerful. And when you write stories that are set in our world or the real world or whatever you want to call it, I feel like there's a lot more limitations on that. Whereas I mm -hmm. feel like with sci-fi and fantasy, you can kind of go anywhere and tell these bigger messages and these bigger truths um, than you could if you were setting it in the actual world. I agree. I also was just, you know, sci-fi and fantasy was where I lived when I was a kid. So I think I naturally just gravitate toward that. Absolutely. <laughs> so what are you currently reading since you're a bookseller? Can you give us some recommendations of what you what your favorites have been recently? Okay. Um, do they have to be kids or no? Nope, they, they can adults? be anything. Okay, so I'm actually right in the middle right now of reading Ink Mistress by Audrey Colthurst, mm -hmm. which is a young adult uh, fantasy novel that actually has some like oddly interesting parallels to my book. So I'm glad I did not read it until <laughs> now. <laughs> um, but Audrey Colthurst is great because she um is also like a mainstream published author who's writing queer uh, fantasy for teens. And there aren't a ton of us out there. I mean, there are more, especially this year, but uh, she's been doing it for a couple of years and she's really great. Um, I just finished reading Gideon the Ninth. Oh, I've Tim heard that's Senior. so good. I haven't it's read it yet. so bizarre and so sticking in my mind. Um, <laughs> the tagline for this is lesbian necromancers in space. And I'm like, my mind is a little bit blown by that. Um, it's a little heavier, like on the necromancy side than on the lesbian side. But both of those are definitely in it. And it was just such an inventive book. That one's adult space fantasy is what I would call it. And it is out in September. Yeah. And then if you want like a backlist recommendation, anything by Anna Marie Mecklemore, she writes the most beautiful queer YA fantasy for brown girls. All of her books are just gorgeous. 
awesome. I read a book really recently that's queer space fantasy called Once and Future. And oh, yeah. Have you read that one? Yes, it is so bizarre, and, and I, I love it so yeah, much. Yeah, I liked it, too, because I'm a big fan of King Arthur, and it it stuck pretty true to the King Arthur stories while also being, like, super queer, and it was just the yes. best. I very much enjoyed it. <laughs> I loved it. I've sort of heard it pitched as, like, Firefly meets A Knight's Tale in space. Cool. And I, I can... feel like if you like those aesthetics, Yes. And plus very queer, very queer. Very, yeah. very queer. <laughs> um, yes, I, I think that that's really not bad. Firefly uh, in space meets Knight's Tale. Is that what you said? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So have you seen that movie? I have. Yeah. 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 So I feel like the entire world where Guinevere lives, that's that. Nice. Yes. I think that that's probably pretty accurate. <laughs> so tell us what's up next for you. I know we know you're working on book two. Do you have anything else coming up or are you just trying to finish book two? Um, just book two at the moment. I am. I was planning this summer to try to get some other things done and none of that has happened. So it's basically <laughs> been trying to stay on top of book two and also handling all of the marketing and promo stuff for book one, which they do not tell you how much time that takes when you <laughs> sign up to be an author, I have to say. Um, it's It's been wonderful. It has been really, really wonderful to have these opportunities. But also, I kind of feel like, oh, I just want to be writing. Yes, I don't blame you. I hear that from a lot of writers where they're trying to promote one book and sell one book while in the process of writing another one that it's a hard balance to keep. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much for being here with me today. I really enjoyed talking with you and I hope everyone goes out and buys Shadow the Sky because it was just wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Kim. Sorry, Rebecca and your middle name is Kim. Sorry. Thank you, Rebecca. <laughs> I don't People have done that, like oh, multiple goodness. people, and it's fine. Thank you. <laughs> I guess it's still a name. Do you go? Do you go by Rebecca? I assume. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so thank you very much, and uh, good luck with everything with the book. Well, thank you. All right. Bye bye. That was Rebecca Kim Wells, author of the angry feminist bisexual dragon YA fantasy novel, Shatter the Sky. You've been listening to The Writer's Forum, a weekly production of WRBH. You can catch our show every Thursday at 3 p.m. and again on Sundays at 8.30 a.m. This show and all of WRBH's programs can be found on our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash WRBH Reading Radio as well as on iTunes and Google Podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Candace Huber. Until next time.